Thanks so much for being here for one of our weekend worship experiences. I'm excited for where we're going for the next couple weeks as we jump into a new series entitled The Core. You know, it's kind of like, who are we? Uh, like, what's our passion? What's our drive? This is a great series. If you're a regular attender here, this is home base for you. Maybe you're already a member. This is just a great refresher course, a reminder of kind of what's our drive. You know, where, where do we put our budget dollars? Where's our focus? How do we run our calendar? Kind of like this series is really like who we are. What are we about at the core of a church? If you're a first-time guest or maybe you're a visitor, you're new here, I want you to know this is still a great series for you. Maybe you're looking for a new church. Maybe you're looking to get in church for the first time. This will be a great overview, again, for you to find out who we are, what we're about, what drives us. So I'm excited to have you guys here. Listen, as we jump into this, I want to give you some foundational stuff. Before I really kind of get into the meat of today's message, I want to give you some things that I'm going to talk about each and every week through this series as we talk about our four core values. Our four core values are reach, connect, grow, and serve. We're all about reaching people who are far from Christ. Our goal is to get connected, that we don't have to do life alone. We think it's important that we grow in our relationship with Christ. And ultimately, where we are today, we're going to talk about serving, that save people, serve people. But before I get into it, I want to kind of just lay this foundation out. I want to give you kind of the, I want to give you the why before I give you the what. I want to give you kind of why do we have core values? Why are we driven? Why do we have goals before I kind of give you what they are? And here's just a couple of them I want you to think about. Number one is eternity's real. Everybody say that eternity is real. Like we believe that. I believe that every one of us in this room, man, we're glad that you're here. Every heart is beating, but there's going to come a time for every one of us at some point that that heart is going to be, it's going to flatline. Eternity's real. And we believe that everybody is going to spend eternity somewhere. And so because I know we push and it's okay that we strive for success and we strive to succeed in school and in the job and in the corporate world. But if we're honest, a lot of the things that you and I are pursuing, most, most of it is temporary. Very little can we take out of this world into the next. And so for us, as we focus on our core values, as we focus on who we are, you have to remember that the reason as your pastor and our team that we drive the way we drive, that we push the way we push, that we strive the way we strive is because we believe that eternity is real. Also, we believe this, number two, we believe that salvation is necessary. Listen, we believe this, that that good people don't go to heaven, but forgiven people do. That we have a savior, his name is Jesus, and he came, was sent by the father on a mission, and that while he was here, that he lived perfectly, he died sacrificially, and he rose victoriously. That Jesus, while he was here, his mission ultimately was to lay down his life that you and I, we could find forgiveness, that we could find a relationship with our Heavenly Father, and that ultimately we believe that it's our job, that it's our call, that it's our purpose to make sure that people have opportunities to have that salvation experience. And number three, we believe this, that the church, the church is the answer. The church is the answer. Think about this. There is no plan B. When Jesus was here, right, he hung out with his disciples. Basically, he said, I want you to be to this world who I am to you. And he deposited himself into 12 disciples. He, he, uh, he mimicked himself into them, that how they lived, how they loved, how they communicated. That Jesus, ultimately, his plan is for not a building. When I say a church, I don't mean a building. I mean a global and local group of people who are sold out to Jesus and living God's love in this world. And so as we talk, before we get into the what, I just want you to know the why. 
that here at Faith Church, as your pastor, as your leadership team, we believe that eternity is real. We believe that salvation is necessary. And we believe that the church is the hope and the answer of the world. And so let me ask you this question as we get into today. How many of you guys have figured out that parenting is really difficult? I mean, if, unless, you know, if your only goal, goal is just for them not to end up in prison or you not to end up in prison for killing them, like that's, that's a good goal. That's a goal that some of us is hard to achieve, but there's a higher goal that makes parenting difficult. And here, here's really what it is. The goal of parenting is to make sure that you raise successful adults. I mean, that's, that's the goal. I know for a lot of us, we think maybe the goal is just to give them all the things that we never had, which is why your kids are spoiled. Another message. Another, I'm meddling already. Maybe we think that like our goal is just to give them three hots and a cot, just to give them three meals and a roof over the head. And like, that's obviously part of our goal as parents. But again, the goal of being a good parent is to prepare your children to have success as adults, to be able to exceed, succeed in this world. But in order to do that, one of our goals, one of our challenges to make that possible is to give our kids chores, which we hate to do because it's so hard. But the reason we give our children chores, the reason I have three kids and they've always had chores, they've always participated, is for this reason, is because when a child has responsibility in the home, when a child has chores, there's a couple things that happen. First of all, they recognize that they play a role in the family. Like there's not the family in them, like they're a part of the dynamic that's happening in that home. When you give your children chores, there's something else that happens. All of a sudden, they start to appreciate what they have when they have to take care of it. They also kind of learn what it means to honor their parents. Like when parents ask something of them, like they learn that like there's something to honoring their parents. One of the best things that our children learn that helped them to grow up and be successful adults is a work ethic. Like when you give your kids responsibilities, they learn kind of to be hard workers. They learn to take responsibility. They learn priority. So there's a lot to it. I'm just going to be honest, and some of you guys know this is true. It would be easier if we just did the chores ourselves. Is anybody with me? Like it's such a headache because when I tell my kids, I remind them it's time to do chores. You know, I tell them, hey, you got to do your chores today or don't forget to do this. It's like I'm telling them, hey, meet me in the garage in five minutes. I'm going to get the pliers and pull a couple fingernails loose. Like, push the sweeper around the house. It's like, oh, Dad, I get eyes rolling. Like, I get it too. You know, but the reason, this is so, so big. Listen, the reason that as parents in our home that we push and we promote personal responsibility and chores is because it's not what I want to get from my kids. It's what I want to get for my kids. Now, I'm just telling you, free child labor is a help. We do accept that. But really, it's because we're trying to get something to our kids, in the same way, as a Christ follower, when you learn to serve inside of the local church, it's the same way. Because when you serve inside the local church, even though your schedules are challenged, even though there's lots of reasons you might buck against it and push against it, here's what I want you to know. That when you serve inside the local church, being a part of the church doesn't mean attending a building on Sunday. Being part of the local church doesn't mean that it's an organization that you eventually join. Being a part of the local church biblically means that you and I as Christ followers, that we are a part of his body and we understand that each of us have a unique, specialized purpose inside of that body. That we're not just part of the body, but we're part of the family. The Bible tells us like we're all interconnected. We're all part of the same family. And inside of that family, we have responsibility. That you and I, as Christ followers, we're all part of the same home. And in that home, we kind of bear each other up. Like we take ownership in what's happening overall. 
And so the same way, I, it's not something I want to get from my kids, but for my kids. Today, as I talk about serving, honestly, it's not something I want to get from you. It's something I want to get for you. Now, listen, before you head to the doors, because you know I'm going to pull on you today to serve, my goal here, I just want you to know this, my goal today is to use all of my communication abilities to get every single one of you who are regular attenders or members of Faith Church to get you off the bench and in the game. My goal, so you know it right up front, I'm telling you, I'm going to be absolutely open. My goal is to get you to not just be an attender, but to be a contributor. That's my goal is to get you involved that before you leave here today, you're going to say, Pastor Steve, I want to be involved in faith church. I want to serve. I want to give what I have to be involved. Sweat it out just a little bit. I'm going to give you a minute just to breathe and think on that. Now, let me just give you a couple reasons. There are some reasons that I think we should consider like jumping in. I think there are some great biblical reasons. Let me just give you a couple of them because if you're hearing like Pastor Steve, like, Time is my most precious commodity. I'm already busy. I'm a student. I'm working a part-time job. I'm a a business owner. I'm a CEO. Maybe you work in a cubicle. Maybe you're running around kids, moving them from event to event. The most precious thing that all of us in this room have are time. And maybe there's some of you are thinking, Pastor Steve, the last thing I can do is give up another slice of time. So let me give you three reasons real quick on why I think it's important biblically why you and I ought to consider serving. Number one is for God's glory. Woo! Come on, everybody say God's glory. You know why you're here on this planet? To bring glory to God. You say, what does that mean? That means that the Bible says that in him that you live and that you move and you have your being. Like the question of the ages, the question that people have sought for thousands of years is why am I here? Let me tell you why you're here on planet earth. The reason you woke up today and your heart was beating, the reason you woke up and you had breath in your lungs, the Bible makes it clear is that God created you, he formed you, he called you, and he saved you. And our end game, our ultimate goal in this life is to live in a way that honors him. So in everything we do, in everything we say, with everything we have, we point to the one who gave it all for us. We serve for God's glory. God, I'm in this for you. It's not about an obligation. It's about an opportunity. We don't have to serve, we get to serve. Here's another reason I think you ought to consider serving is for people's eternity. For people's eternity. There's a lot of things in this room that we could agree or disagree on, but one thing that everyone in this room can agree on is 100 years from now, the only thing that will matter is people's personal relationship with Christ. Not your denomination, not your job, not your raise, not your house, not your political beliefs. The only thing that's going to matter for your friends, for our family, for our community, the only thing that will matter 100 years from now is people's personal relationship with Jesus. And so the reason, man, the reason I believe that God calls us to serve is that we get to partner with him and we get to impact people to step into a relationship with the living God. Now, let me just spin this in a different way, right? So maybe you get a phone call. Maybe there's a person that you've been inviting to church and you've been praying would come or maybe they approached you and they said, hey, I'm looking for a church and so you invited them or they just said they're gonna show up. When you realize you have a personal guest coming to church, all of a sudden you see things through a totally different lens. You might just show up and leave and show up and leave, but when you have a guest coming, all of a sudden you start thinking, everybody better be on their game. Like I get phone calls from people that'll tell me, hey, pastor, listen, I got a friend coming today. And listen, 
those parkers, they better not have their hands in their pocket. Like, will you please make sure that they get a big welcome? When you have a friend coming, you hope that they have an incredible experience. Like you hope their kids get checked in. You hope their kids are taken care of. You hope they can find their way around. You hope no one peed on the toilet seat. You hope there's like envelope. Like you hope somebody shakes their hand. You hope somebody gives them direct. Like you hope everything about it. And I have people approach me and they'll say this. Hey, pastor, I have a guest coming. And that's all they'll say. What they're saying between the lines is this. Is pastor, I have a friend coming today. And you better knock it out of the park and don't preach on money. You got it? Like, that's what they mean. Like, we need you to do your job really well so they'll come back. Because here's why. All of us, all of us want our friends and our family members and our coworkers to fall in love with Jesus. Isn't that right? And so we understand that part of that process is for them coming to a church where they have an incredible experience. And what makes an incredible experience that people have an opportunity to step into eternity knowing Jesus is each and every week we have hundreds of volunteers who serve to impact people's experience. Through this experience, they might come to know Jesus as their Savior. Number three reason that we serve and that you should consider serving today is your reward. Your reward. I got really great news for you today is that when you accepted Jesus as your Savior and you know he died for you, he died for all of your sin, not just your past sin. For all the perfect people, that's not great news. Let me try that again. Jesus died for your past sin, your present sin, and your future sin. Jesus died for all of our sin. Thank you. Like, that's really great news. Here's why. And this, this is important you understand this, is that one day when we die, and the Bible makes it clear that in, in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14, and Romans chapter 14, verse 12, the Bible makes it amply clear that we are going to stand before God and we're going to give an account of our life. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us that when we stand as Christ followers, as people who've put their trust in Jesus, you are not going to be judged for your sin. Your sin was already judged on the cross of Calvary. Jesus died for your sin. However, what you and I will be judged for on the day of judgment when we stand before Christ is not our sin. We're going to be judged for how we live this life. Meaning, what God wants to know as he judges us is did you use your resources, did you use your time, did you use your talent in a way that glorified me and influenced people's eternity? And when we live our life in that way, I want you to know here's great news. One day, and this is what I'm living for. I'm okay with the applause of people. I love saying, Pastor, great job. But I'm living for the day when I stand before Jesus and he says these words, well done, good and faithful servant. Like that's what I'm living for is one day God's going to reward the life that I've lived for him. The opportunities I've taken advantage of, God's going to honor. And so here's why right here, here are three reasons I want you to think of today. As you wonder, like, should I get involved? I want you to remember, here's why we do what we do. Here's why we serve. Here's why we give a slice of our precious time. It's for God's glory, for people's eternity, and for our reward. Now, I don't think probably many of us in this room would disagree with any of these three. In fact, you might say, I I agree, but, and everybody's got a big but. But, you know, and and a lot of us, our, our exclusion, our exception, our excuse for not getting involved, there's different reasons Some of us might be like, you know, pastor, I just don't really feel like I have a lot to offer. In fact, I would say that nobody disagrees with these. 
for being a pastor for almost 25 years, the number one reason, if I can really get up into somebody's chili, if I can sit down and talk to somebody, it's not that people are busy. It's not that people are too occupied. It's that most people do not believe that they have anything to offer. Most people just feel like too inconsequential, just feel like, like I don't really know enough. I, I don't know if I could really make a difference. I, like people just don't really believe that God can do something with their life. And so here's where we're going to go today is for all of us in this room, as we keep these three things in mind, what I really want you to hear today is this, is that surrendered lives have unlimited potential. That if you'll take who you are and you'll take where you've been, and you'll take what you have, no matter how you view it, no matter how small it is, if you'll say, God, I want you to use what I have, I want you to know that God can do absolutely unlimited things with people who live lives that are surrendered to him. Woo! I'm telling you, man, God can take any life in this room and do something great. What would happen? What would happen if 2,000 people that attend Faith Church, what would happen if we all said, God, I don't have much, but I want to give it to you? What would happen if we said, God, take what I have? What could God do? Well, we're going to look at a story for a few minutes in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, I want you to pull them out. This is a story that a um, great miracle. In fact, Jesus accomplishes or does this miracle several, several times in Scripture. The story we're going to look at today is the feeding of the 5,000. Like most of you were raised, if you've been in church for a while, maybe you were back in the day in Sunday school in flannel grass, that you were taught that Jesus was a carpenter, right? Y'all knew Jesus was a carpenter? How many people knew that Jesus was a caterer? And he caters to sizes like, like no size is too big. In fact, Jesus shows up on two different occasions, at least that Scripture tells us, and he feeds a group of 4,000 men plus family. This incident we're going to look at today, Jesus supernaturally provides a meal for about 20,000 people. Like that's a caterer right there. But he doesn't just do it through himself. He does it using the disciples. I want you to see this. Watch this story. Everybody read this with me. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. Now, now stop. Why were they tired? Because Jesus, man, like, so this is the setup of the story. He's been ministering all day long. Everywhere Jesus went, people wanted a piece of his time. Like there's broken people and hurting people and discouraged people and sick people. And man, they, they found out that Jesus had hope and Jesus was the answer. And so man, constantly people were, were thronging to get to Jesus and pushing to get a piece of his time. And man, Jesus was worn out. Him and his disciples have been ministering to people all day. Another part that you don't want to miss is that just before this, this event takes place, in the chronological history of the life of Jesus, we find out that just before this moment, just before this takes place, that Jesus got news that his closest relative on earth, his closest friend, John the Baptist, was beheaded. And so can you imagine how heavy he is and how broken he is and how discouraged he is? But in this story, no matter what he felt like, like the crowds kept coming. No matter what his personal, no matter what his personal issue was, like the crowds kept coming. This is so important for you to understand because as a church, people's expectation is irrelevant of our personal experience. Like how many people know that waiters and waitresses have bad days? Well, we don't care. Fill my drink, sucker. Like get my food. Like we don't. It's not that we don't care, but if we don't know, we just know. Like we just have expectations. 
When people walk through this door each and every Sunday, they have expectations of how they'll be loved, how they'll be treated, how they'll be welcomed, how they'll be ministered to. And we might have had an awful week. We might have had a loss in our life. We might have been incredibly busy. We might have had all these reasons why we can't. And I just want you to know that in, in spite of your personal experience, this community is going to have big expectations. And even though Jesus was in a place where he just lost his cousin, man, the crowd just kept coming. And so in this story, I want you to see this. Like they show up and Jesus uses this opportunity again to do this incredible miracle where he feeds thousands. So they're tired. They've been ministering all day long and they're trying to get a quiet place to get away. Watch this. He said this again because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles, come on, say this, didn't even have time to eat. Now, This is so key that this is found right in the beginning of the story. Because it's almost like God is saying, hey, you know what? When you follow me, you can't always be first. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to be a Christ follower, not a church attender, but if you're going to love Jesus with your life, you can't always put your life, your agenda, your budget, and your schedule first. Sometimes following Jesus necessitates that we put other people's needs above our own. That's good preaching right there. Go ahead, Pastor Steve. And so... Even though the disciples are hungry, Jesus, right, he was hungry. They didn't stop and put other people aside. Man, they kept ministering. Keep rolling. It says, so they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people, come on, read it. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. So here's the picture. They're on one side of the Sea of Galilee. They're worn out. They're tired. They're hungry. Stomachs are growling. They need some rest. So they get in the boat, and they're going across the Sea of Galilee. Why they're going across the Sea of Galilee, there's people on the shore that still have needs, that are still discouraged, that are still sick, and they see Jesus, and the Bible says they wreck. Hey, that's Jesus. Those are the, those are the people that can help me. Those are the people that can meet my need. And so they're running around the shoreline trying to get ahead of Jesus and cut him off. I mean, this is crazy. Like, they're running. The Bible says they recognize them. This is so big. I believe that hurting people recognize helping people. You may not believe this about yourself, but because you have the hope of Jesus, I believe there's a light in you. I believe there's a joy in you. Like, you may not always be able to explain it, but people see that you know Jesus. Like, People are going to come and ask you questions. People are going to come from time to time and engage you. And they may not know why. And they may say things like this, like, I just see you're different. Like, I see there's something different about you. Like, I see there's a joy in you. And people who are broken in this world, they're attracted to people who have hope. And I just want you to know that you have opportunities because of the hope that you have in Christ and the hope that I have in Christ, that we have opportunities to connect with people because they recognize, they recognize that we found an answer, that we found something that makes a difference in this broken world. Keep going. It says, Jesus, come on, keep reading. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So they began teaching them many things. So again, they picture this, this crowd, thousands of people, man, are moving along the shore. They're trying to stop Jesus Jesus finally stops and he sees this huge crowd that's amassed. And the Bible says he had compassion on them. Like like he knew that there were people that were depressed. 
maybe some to the point of suicide. He knew that there were people that had seen all the doctors and they didn't have a solution. There were sick people. He knew that there were marriages that were in jeopardy. He knew that there were families that were broken. And the Bible says, this is so big, the Bible says that Jesus, when he seen them, he had compassion on them. Like this word means like there was this guttural like, ah, like he felt the weight of like, I, I just want to help you. And I don't know if you caught this, but the Bible says that the crowd recognized them, but only he had compassion on them. So even though the crowd recognized all the disciples, Jesus was the only one who recognized the crowd. Jesus was the only one who seen that the crowd had needs. And like, I'm guilty of this. Like, I'm guilty, and, and maybe you're guilty of this. Like, have you ever been guilty? Like, you're so busy doing your day and fulfilling your schedule and going to your classes and working your job that we forget we live in a world full of broken people who need hope? Like, I just wonder, do I see what Jesus sees? Like, when I, when I walk in Walmart or I walk in Target and I got my shopping, I got my honeydew list, I got my... Like, I just, do I see what Jesus sees? Because you and I, we can be so busy living our life first that we forget really why we're here for God's glory, for people's eternity and our reward. And I'm just telling you, I just think that as a church, that God wants us to see people. God wants us to see our community. God wants us to see our culture the way he does. That There's a group of people that need hope in a hopeless world. Keep rolling. And it says this, it says, late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. So there's all these people that are hungry. They've been teaching all day and the disciples come up and they come to Jesus and they're like, hey, like there's a lot of hungry people here. You got to shut this thing down. People got to, but there's, there's no place to get food. They're in the middle of the desert, in the middle of the wilderness. They've been walking. And the Bible says it's getting late. I just want to stop and just maybe try to encourage some of you here. Because if in this situation, it was a remote place and it was getting late, but I already gave you the giveaway, Jesus fed every single one of them. I want everybody here to know something, that it's never too late in your situation for God to do something in the impossible. You might be in a place where you feel absolutely alone and abandoned. You might feel like you're in a remote situation that nobody can relate to you. Nobody has felt the way you felt. But I want you to know that God can do anything, anywhere, at any time. It's never too late for your situation. It's never too late for your prodigal son. It's never too late for your prodigal daughter. It's never too late for your marriage. It's never too late for a miracle. It's never too late for a breakthrough. God can do anything at any time. This is awesome. So they go to Jesus. Next verse, watch this. This is so heartbreaking because I've heard this before as a pastor. So get the picture. There's 5,000 men, husbands and wives and sons and daughters. There's 20,000 people in need. And now they're hungry, and the Bible says that the disciples go to Jesus and say this, send the crowds away. Like, I'm like, are you kidding? Like, I've heard people say this. As a pastor, I've I've had the great privilege to be in ministry for a long time now, served in a couple churches as youth pastors, served the last church I was a pastor of. God blessed us, and God did great things in the church, and we saw that organization, we saw that church grow from 40 to 500. Since we've been here, we've grown from 500. We're running around 1,800 people, and, it's, and crowds are coming. 
And I can remember one of the first times I stood on the platform at my previous church and like I got up like ready to preach my guts out. Like I'm just going to, and I just told them like, we're going to win this city. We're going to bring people to Jesus. Like we're going to impact this culture. And when it was all over, this little old lady came up to me and I could see her coming and I knew she was going to give me a compliment. So I was ready for it. You know, when she came, I was like, this is going to be good. She's going to tell me what a great communicator I am, what a great pre. Like, I'm on board, Pastor Steve. And so, like, I got ready for her to come, and, and, she, and she comes wobbling up to me, kind of crooked, and I'll never forget it. I'm like, and how might I helpeth thee, O woman of the Lord? And this is what she said. I'll, I'll never forget it. Like, I thought she's like, she's going to be on board. And this is what she said. She said, Pastor, we're content. We don't want the crowds here. We're perfectly content with what we have here now. Like I thought, I'm just telling you, as your pat, like my assumption is we're all on board to reach people who are far from God. And like as a young pastor, like, I mean, man, she ripped my guts out. I thought, like, you're not for this? And even, as a, even at my previous church and now even being here over the last almost five years, we've had people come and be here and leave. And here's why. We don't like the crowds. It's too crowded. Are you kidding me? Jesus died for the crowds. There's a book in the Bible called Numbers. Jesus is all about crowding heaven. He's all about winning the law. He's not for a handful. He's not for some. Jesus is for all. And while I know, hear me, I know it's, it's busy getting in here. It's busy getting out. We got a thousand people that try to file out of this auditorium. It's crazy. It's a lot of sacrifice. But I want you to know, Jesus is far more interested in a healthy church that's growing than a place that's a hospital for broken people rather than it is a mortuary for dead religious people to come and hang out. God wants the crowds to come to him, not for us to send them away. I'm just, I'm just telling you, I've prayed for crowds. It's my heartbeat to reach people. It's my passion to love people. I want to see every person I know come to Jesus. I want to see the Shoals come to Jesus. I want to see Lawrenceburg and Rogersville and Russellville and Muscle Shoals and Sheffield and Florence. I want to see this entire region come to Jesus. Listen, Jesus said, come to me, all everybody who's weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Jesus said, if you lift me up, I'll draw all men to me. Listen, the worst thing we can do as a church is say, we don't want the crowds. Listen, we're here for the crowds and we need to serve them and we need to love them and we need to give them an opportunity to have an experience with God's great love. And so they look at Jesus and like, Jesus, man, send the crowds away so they can go to nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. And here's, here's what I want you to see. Watch this. Listen to Jesus' response. Next verse. Every voice, come on, read this. But Jesus said, you feed them. Let me just ask you a question. How do you think they felt in that moment? Again, the Bible says they're standing in a remote place, like they're like in the middle of nowhere. There's no McDonald's, no KFC, right? There's no place to eat, no place to buy anything to make food. They're in a remote place. It's late. All the stores are closed. Walmart's the only thing open, but it's a long way away remote place. It's getting late. Jesus looks at the disciples and says, you feed them. This past week, my wife, she was under the weather. She was sick most of the week. And like Thursday night as the day I was coming home from work, like I started to get some anxiety because Shauna wasn't feeling better and I needed to eat that night. (laughs) So I come home and she's laying on the couch and like, I didn't say anything, but I thought maybe she'll muster enough strength to go to the kitchen. Listen, don't judge me. Don't judge me. 
Don't judge me. She was on medication long enough. She's got a shot and everything, and I paid for it. So, so finally, like when I seen she wasn't going to cook anything, I was like, babe, you want me to make something? And I just want you to know, I don't have a large repertoire of... <laughs> so I said, she's like, well, what can you make? So I started with the obvious. Well, we can do peanut butter and jelly. We can do toast. We can do mac and cheese. I'm looking through the cupboard. I'm like, no, we're out of mac and cheese. Like, this is not, like, I felt like in the moment, she's like, I need you to feed me. I'm in a house trying to feed one person, and I felt overwhelmed. (laughs) Can you imagine the disciples are standing with 20,000 hungry people, and Jesus says, you feed them. Everybody just pull in. I think what Jesus was saying was, I want you to take responsibility for the needs of your community. Like I, like, I get it. Like, we get on our knees and, and we pray. You know, Father, I, I pray for my friends. God, I got, Lord, I, I, people that don't know you. God, I pray for this married couple. Father, I know they're struggling. Lord, I pray that you would show up and save their marriage. Father, I pray for, you know, I pray for my boss. God, he doesn't know you. Lord, I pray that, God, you do a work in his heart. He would come to you. And we bow our knee and we get before God and we ask God to do things and we pray that God would do things. And I want you to know that you are God's answered prayer. See, we just want God to magically show up and change this world. God's system for changing our culture, shifting our community, and winning lost people is the church, is the hope of the world. See, what Jesus said is, you feed them. I want you to feel like it's your responsibility to serve people. But God, I'm busy. No, no, no. You feed them. But God, I already got enough going on. But but you feed them. They're hungry. They're broken. They're tired. They're sick. And you have what they need. But I think Jesus wanted to know maybe something else besides them feeling personal responsibility because the answer, watch this. This would be me right here. This was me the other night. Babe, with, with, what do you want me to feed you? With what? Like they're looking in their pockets. We don't have anything. With what, they ask. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. Basically, they're looking around saying, how could... God, you want us to take responsibility, but how can we feed them? Have you ever been in a situation where you can't see the forest for the trees? Like they're standing around. The only thing they can see is the remote desert. But what they fail to see right there, anybody want to take a guess? Remember, who's with the disciples? Who's in the middle of the crowd of the 20,000 people? Is there anybody in there that was possibly the solution to the need? It was Jesus. And I want you to know something. God wants us to recognize that if we'll take responsibility, but we'll lean on him for the strength to do it, that we can do anything. We'll say, God, here I am, use me. God, here I am, send me. God, I'm going to give you what I have. I don't feel like it's enough. I don't feel like it's much. But God, use me. And so Jesus, watch this. He tells him this, verse 38. He says, how much bread do you have? And he wasn't asking for money, by the way. Wasn't an offering. How much bread do you have, he asked. He says, go and find out. So imagine this, they're going through the crowd and they're trying to find food. They're trying to find something. It says, they came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. In the Gospel of John where they tell this same story, we find out that these um, loaves and fish comes from a boy's lunch, comes from a young guy's lunch. 
So he, it's the only food they can find, 20,000 people, and he's the only kid that came prepared, right? He's the only one that showed up and had his lunchbox ready. And he's in there, and his lunch is a couple rolls, five little loaves, five little rolls, and some fish. Like, think about this. Like, he's got a filet of fish sandwich. That's it. And he takes it to Jesus, and let me just give away the punchline. Look at this next verse. Watch this. Everybody read this. And a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. So this little boy takes an inconsequential lunch to Jesus. And Jesus takes it and he puts his supernatural touch on this inconsequential lunch and he feeds everybody. But here's what I want you to see is that little boy had to ask himself a couple questions. Like when he found out Jesus wanted his little small lunch and he could do something with it, here's what this boy had to ask him. What can Jesus do with something so small? Today, I'm asking every one of you to give what you have, to take some slice of your time, some slice of your talent, some slice of your ability and say, because I care about God's glory, I, I want to use my life to honor him. And because I, I believe that that I can impact people's eternity. I don't know how, but if that's what God wants me to do. And because one day I'm going to stand before Jesus, God, I'm going to take what small thing I have and I'm going to give it to him. And this little boy had to ask this question, like what can Jesus do with something so small? I already answered it for you. Man, he took that small amount and he blessed it and fed 20,000 people. What could God do? I know you don't think you have much. I know a lot of us in this room don't feel like we have much extra. We don't feel like we know enough. When you ask the question, what could Jesus do if you gave him what you have, even if it seems so small, I've already answered it. He can put a supernatural touch. He can work with people who work with him to do incredible things. Second question this young boy had to ask is this, am I willing to give it? I can tell you something about every single person in this room, including the guy standing on the stage, is we are naturally, inherently selfish people. We, we just don't like to get, I mean, no, but when you were a little kid, your parents didn't have to tell you, now stop sharing so much. No parent ever had that conversation. We're like, mine, mine, give me. And like, we just hold on. So we're naturally inherent. We don't want to give what we have. And if we give it, we feel like it's not enough. This little boy had to ask, what can Jesus do with something so small? And even if he can do something, am I willing to give it? I want to share a story as we get ready to close today of a young girl right here in our church who answered these questions. What could Jesus do with something so small? And a little over a year ago, she answered the question, I'm willing to give it. I want you to watch and see what God's done through her life. I love working with these kids. <laughs> My name is Naomi Smith. I work upstairs with the Faith Kids Department. When Pastor Vic and Miss Jodina came along, then I worked the very first Sunday that they started with them, and they were just an absolute blast to work with. So I started getting more involved. I was mainly in the tech booth and behind the scenes. There came a Sunday where Pastor Vic pulled me aside and asked me if I would be interested in teaching on stage. And I told him, heck no, <laughs> because I have really bad anxiety issues. The anxiety that I had was never really anything that I ever saw myself overcoming. When it got so bad, it seemed like it would be impossible to get through. I didn't really think that I'd ever be comfortable being up on stage or being in front of anyone. 
I told him no several times, and he asked me every Sunday for a couple months if I would be willing to get up on stage, and so I finally said yes, and I'm pretty happy I did. <laughs> Not only has serving helped me to overcome the anxiety issues, it's definitely changed who I am as a person. I didn't believe in God before I started coming to Faith Church, but now I can't imagine not being up on that stage on Sundays. The personal rewards that you get and the spiritual rewards that you get and the satisfaction of you know, changing people's lives through ministry is absolutely worth it. Every Sunday, we have an altar call where we give the kids a chance, you know, to raise their hands and to give their hearts over to Jesus for the first time. And to see, you know, at least one or two or three kids raise their hands. It's just an amazing thing to be a part of, to know that you may be one of the leaders that helped to change this kid's life, that helped to put him on that path to follow Christ. I still struggle, even to this day, you know, a year after starting teaching, that I'm not good enough because of that fact that, you know, I used to be an atheist. I didn't believe in God. I haven't studied the Bible. I don't know all these Bible stories that I'm teaching them. It makes you feel uncomfortable and inadequate, like you can't get up there, like you're not good enough, and like there's always going to be somebody better. But if God wants you to get up there, if God wants you to work in that ministry, then you're good enough for God, then you're good enough for anybody. See, Naomi's the young lady that found out that surrendered lies have unlimited potential. When she said, God, I don't have much, I don't know much. Here's a young lady when she started coming to faith church, was an atheist. She came, sat, because people like you that are currently serving served her, she kept coming back, her and her family. Gave her life to Jesus. She made a decision like some of you right here are going to make. Hey, God, I don't have much, but I'm going to give it to you. And she's found out for the last year God's used her to significantly impact our children's ministry. Naomi, she's not here today. In fact, she went off to college. She has a passion and a heartbeat and feels called to full-time children's ministry. Because she sat right where you are and said, what would happen if I gave something that seems small and insignificant? As your pastor, like I still struggle, like God, I don't have anything to offer, but God, I'm going to give you what I have.